Well, we are um, picking back up today with our sermon series looking at the book of Acts, which we've actually been in for a long time, several years, summer by summer, been working our way through the book of Acts a chapter at a time. And uh, actually it was pointed out to me, this really has been quite a long series we've been in. We've begun it apparently when Quinn and Melanie were still around and, uh, and we're still here in Acts. Um, but we, we left off last summer and we're picking up again um, with Acts chapter 20. So if you'd like to turn to that, um, I'll pray for us as we begin. Loving God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired it all those years ago, so far away. And yet the same Lord, the same faith, the same Holy Spirit, the same uh, Jesus. And we pray that in his name you would open our eyes, strengthen us, speak to us and help us to follow him. For his glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 20 and um, the highly astute uh, of us might have noticed that actually um, that's not the right chapter we should be in. Because if you remember last year, I'd be amazed if anybody does remember this, but we finished up in Acts 21. So we should be in Acts 22 um, now as we pick up the series again. But actually, if you've got got Acts 20 open, um, you'll see that the second half of it, which is what we're going to look at, is Paul's farewell. And I just thought that that was um, too good an opportunity to miss Paul's farewell. So we had uh, Paul and Christine's farewell, our Paul's farewell last week. Um, But this is St. Paul's farewell. And so a bit of context, um, just to jog the memory. Um, It's Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders, it says there. And um, and what's happened is that Paul has spent three years, we know from verse 31, in Ephesus. And that was actually the longest he spent anywhere. Uh, He was always on the move, all over the place, but he spent three incredibly fruitful years in Ephesus. He planted the church, he introduced the people to Jesus, he saw them come to faith, he grew the church, he raised up and committed to uh, investing in emerging leaders in the church. But now it was time for him to move on. And chapter 19, um, we won't go into it, but you can see there was a riot there and he had to sort of hot-foot it out of town, quick smart, before um, it all um, went wrong for him. So he, what he did here, verse 17, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And for, from verse 18 all the way to the end of the chapter is Paul's farewell to the Ephesian church. And it's so helpful for us. I think you know, this is brilliant for us to look at because this is a model of what does the church need to hear when its founding pastor moves on? What does a church need to hear when it's about to enter into a season of transition? Well, this is uh, what Paul shared, and uh, there's so much that he shared with uh, the church, there's so much that we could draw out, but I think that it all boils down to, really, one kind of exhortation, one encouragement to the church, and that is to keep the main thing the main thing. Paul wants the church, to keep the main thing, the main thing. And if there's a key verse, uh, I think it's verse 24, where Paul says, however, I consider my life, my life, not my wife, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, he's only got one aim. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. 
the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Then you got one aim, one main thing, and, and that's the message. Keep the main thing the main thing. And so really the structure of this um, chapter or this, this address of Paul's is in three parts. He first of all um, t- tells them about what he, he's been doing, he points to his own ministry as a model of how he has kept the main thing the main thing. Um, then secondly, he warns them not to lose the main thing. And he describes to them what might happen and how they might actually get shifted off the main thing. Don't do that. Um, and then thirdly, finally, he commits them to and commissions them to keep the main thing the main thing in the church as he goes. So that's uh, what he says, and that's where we go. We'll take each of those in turn. And firstly, um, as our key verse says, he's taken himself as a model, and he's pointed to his own ministry and said to them, look, I have kept the main thing the main thing. Now, uh, verse 18, that's how he starts. He tells them the fact that he's been telling them all about uh, God's grace, but he's actually lived it out as well. It's impacted every aspect of his whole fibre of his being. He's walked the walk as well as talking the talk. He's, he's honoured God with his life as well as his lips. And uh, so verse 18, he says, look, you know how I lived. The whole time I was with you, from the first day I came to you, absolutely everything about me has been keeping the main thing, the main thing. And he's lived with honesty and integrity and authenticity. Um, he, it's been hard. Verse 19, it says that he served the Lord with tears, uh, that he's had severe testing, he's faced opposition. It's not been easy for him, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Um, but he's preached. Verse 20, he hasn't hesitated to preach anything that would have been helpful. He's taught, taught everything uh, in all manner of different ways. Publicly, he's been preaching, and from house to house, in, you know, home groups, cell groups, um, to everybody, declared to both Jews and Greeks, So Paul really has poured himself out teaching everything to everybody in every different way and all because he personally has had this one laser focus, this one task. My only aim, he says, he's had this one thing. He's kept the main thing, the main thing. Now, why does Paul draw attention to his own ministry? Uh, it's not a very, I can't imagine our Paul and Christine doing that. I mean, it wouldn't be a very British thing to do, would it? For them to sort of say, you know, you guys, look, look at us. You know, look at what we've done. Um, it's not really culturally a particularly, you know, um, it wouldn't wash with us. Um, but actually, I think, well, slightly a cultural difference. But also, I don't think Paul, the apostle here, is being big-headed at all. Because I think there's actually an, a really appropriate way, um, despite the fact that it's not very British to do this, it's important and appropriate to recognise and to honour and to celebrate um, the good and godly examples of faithful leadership in the church. Um, we shouldn't, definitely should not put our leaders up on pedestals. Only flowers belong on pedestals. Leaders don't belong on pedestals, but we should honour them. And there's a balance there. But actually, um, it's important for us to honour our leaders and it's important for us to imitate them. Uh, Paul elsewhere told the church, uh, church in Corinth, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's what he did here. That's what our Christian leaders are supposed to do, is, is follow Christ in a way that they can be imitated. And all of the Ephesians had watched Paul and learned so much from him. 
as he'd modelled what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and so have our Paul and Christine. They have, you know, they've, they've modelled what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They've taught us so much and, and, they, and we've learned from them and they've demonstrated us the love of Jesus. And actually, you know, it's right to recognise that and to, and to celebrate that. Um, and just think of, you know, we've been doing that, haven't we? Just think of all the amazing tributes to them on that video that we watched last week of people just saying, you know, we've learned so much and we're so grateful and we're, we're trying to follow Jesus the way you guys are. And that's what's going on, I think, here. Um, that actually, the reason why Paul points to himself is to help them to keep the main thing the main thing by their imitation of him. And so it's important to recognise that. And I think it's important also then, therefore, to recognise that, it, that uh, we, gra- we grieve them going. And this passage does that. You know, it doesn't, there's no hint in here that the Ephesian leaders kind of all went, OK, you know, well, all the best, Paul. You know, well, nice to have known you. And, you know, stiff up a lip, keep calm, carry on, we'll be fine, there'll be somebody else along shortly. You know, no, there was none of that. Actually, Paul meant everything to this church. And actually, verse 36, you know, when he finished up, they knelt, they prayed, and actually, it says they wept. They all wept. You know, and I think that's okay. I think it's good. I think it's probably right. You know, I'm sure there'd been some tears. And uh, there'd been some, he actually says that they grieved him going. And I think, you know, that, that's right, that there will be a period and a season, perhaps, of just of grieving. And I think we need to say that that's OK, um, because uh, our leaders have meant so much to us. And actually, it says, I love this, verse 38, it says, what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. I mean, that's bleak, isn't it? But we know, actually, we're not in the same position as that. We'll see our Paul and Christine again, uh, because they're not off to... Uh, Prison in Rome, mercifully, <laughs> but as far as I can work out, they're off to a vegetable patch in Surrey. And, uh, and perhaps, I love verse 23, you know, thinking of it as Paul and Christine. Paul, the apostle, says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Well, we could perhaps what prison and hardships for potatoes and parsnips are facing Paul and Christine, but uh, we'll see them again. But it's right that we honour them and recognise them and celebrate them and imitate them and also grieve a little bit that they're going because they kept the main thing the main thing firstly Paul says look at me but secondly he says a warning not to get distracted and shifted off the main thing so um verse 28 he says look keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And that's a familiar metaphor, isn't it? And Jesus was always talking about sheep and shepherds. And, uh, and so Paul here says, you know, the church is a flock and you're the shepherds, you're to be the overseers. And one of the things that shepherds need to do, verse 29, is look out for wolves. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from among your own number. And men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. And, uh, you know, I think that we need to be aware that that might happen. Um, I suggested to Paul Perkin this week that we were going to be looking at this passage. And he rather, rather rudely suggested that some of us might have been wolves, which I was rather, you know, hopefully that's not true. Uh, and a little bit mean. I'm sure he was only joking. 
But uh, it's important that we kind of keep an eye out. You know, I think that it's uh, unlikely, as we think about wanting to keep the main thing the main thing, it's unlikely that any, any of us, either somebody coming in from outside or it says, you know, from among our own number, would um, deny the main thing. You know, nobody's going to say that, deny the, tr the main truths that we believe. Much more likely, actually, you know, that they will distort the truth, as it says here, verse 30. Um, because actually nobody would fall for a denial. The most dangerous kind of wolves are the ones, as Jesus warns us, in sheep's clothing. And so what we've got to watch out for is anybody who might distort the truth. And, and that can happen in a number of different ways. Um, distortion can happen as bits of the truth are missed out. You know, actually, we don't quite give the whole truth. Um, you know, it's very easy to give, you know, the nice comfortable bits and some of the other bits which are a little bit more difficult that people don't quite like so much or we leave them to one side or we won't mention them at all. And actually, you know, that's distorting the truth. You know, with Paul, with our Paul, he didn't do that. And the Apostle Paul did not do that either. You know, it was the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, you know, verse 20 says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. I haven't hesitated to preach anything. I haven't hesitated to, to bring the whole of the truth. And same thing in verse 27. I've not hesitated uh, to uh, proclaim to you the whole will of God. So, uh, you know, maybe we just need to watch out that we're not kind of distorting the truth by, by missing certain bits out and the bits that we don't like. Um, but uh, distortion can also happen when um, a church becomes sort of divided and falls into, into factions. Um, and verse 30 says that it's possible that some might distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And, uh, and that can happen. And that can happen when a diverse church can become a divided church when actually some of the little groups can kind of get a sense of, you know, actually we're the main thing here and, and what's become a, a peripheral thing becomes a central thing. And, and, and actually, and kind of one bit of the church can get a sense of superiority and say, actually, you know, all those others over there, well, that's great, but we're the real, you know, this is what it's all about. And, um, and actually, um, you know, th that can happen in a diverse church, which with a metaphor is that a body is made up of many different parts. You know, we've got arms and legs and eyes and ears and noses and I don't know what, which part we are, you know, uh, an eyelash or a toenail or, a, or an ear, goodness knows what we might be. Um, but it can just happen that sometimes, you know, all the hands get together and say, you know, we're the real, you know, and come up over here and join our hand club, uh, whatever that might be. We've got to watch out for that so we don't rise up, distort the truth and draw away disciples and fall into factions and divisions. And... Um, and Paul, you know, he warns that that might happen. Why does Paul warn that that might happen? Did he have a particular prophetic word for the church in Ephesus? Um, well, actually, maybe. Maybe he did. Uh, because actually, tragically, by the time we get to the, the book of Revelation, um, where there are the letters to the churches, um, in Revelation chapter 2... He writes to the church at Ephesus and says, actually, you know, they, they are doing well in lots of ways. You know, you've, you're persevering, you're keeping on going, uh, you're working hard. But, he says, verse 4, I, ha I have this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. 
you know, you've forgotten your first love. Or you might say, um, you've forgotten the main thing. And so maybe Paul did have a particular prophetic word for this church, that that was a danger for them. But maybe he actually also just knew that based on his own experience, this is the kind of thing that is just likely to happen. And is always a bit of a danger when a church goes into a period of transition. Um, actually, there's always a risk of getting off the main thing and losing the main thing and falling into division. And uh, he had seen that happen. And actually, tragically, I'm sure many of us, I've seen that happen. Um, just from personal experience, two churches I know of that I have been part of in the past, um, after a long and faithful and fruitful period of ministry, and the pastors then moved on, and actually the church kind of fell into division and, and factions. And actually, tragically, in one, case, in one case, the church split. That's incredibly painful. And so actually, um, we've got to really make sure, uh, you know, that we're, we're on our guard against that. I'm sure that that isn't going to happen at St Mark's. Uh, we are a diverse church, but I don't think we're a divided church. And um, the reason why I, I really, and I'm praying that we won't uh, become divided and that this won't happen to us. And the reason why is because I think it will be because we've heard this warning. Because we've actually listened to verse 31 where Paul says, be on your guard. You know, make sure this doesn't happen. Make sure someone doesn't come in from outside who gets you off the main thing. Make sure people don't come up from within you who distort the truth. Be on your guard. And I think we, you know, be foolish not to. Um, there's the warning. So Paul has said, uh, I've kept the main thing, the main thing. You know, a warning, don't allow anyone else to get you off the main thing. But finally, he commits them and commissions them to keeping the main thing, the main thing. So that's verse 32. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And the thing that Paul commits the church to is, is the same as what his own aim is. So he commits, what does he commit the church to? Verse 32, um, I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is exactly the same thing as he says in verse 24, that his aim has been the task of testifying to the word or the good news or the gospel of God's grace. And that's what Paul is all about. And that's what he wants the church to be all about, the task of witnessing to the world, the word, the gospel of God's grace. And look at the way that God's grace just permeates everything that Paul says. And it's absolutely sprinkled and peppered throughout all of this entire um, section. The, uh, the purchase of God's grace in verse 28, um, he says, second half of it, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The purchase of grace, where God shed his own blood. God has blood which he shed, because in fact, God, you know, the good shepherd became like one of the sheep. In fact, he became the sacrificial lamb. And by his own blood, he purchased our salvation through a sheer act of his grace. Uh, the purchase of his grace, the future hope which his grace secures for us in verse 32, commit you to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And what an inheritance we have as sons and daughters of the, of the king of kings. You know, we don't deserve any inheritance. And yet we have 
uh, an inheritance kept in heaven for us, which can never perish, spoil or fade. And, uh, and that is ours, a place in the Father's house, which we have to look forward to because of his grace. Uh, the personal, the necessity of personal um, reception and response to God's grace um, in receiving it for ourselves. Verse 21, Paul says that everyone must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus in order to be able to receive God's grace. We've got to turn to him in repentance, just like the prodigal son did. He needed to realise that he was in a mess. He was in a pigsty. He was a sinner. And so are all of us, you know, we, we're all sinners and we all need to, uh, to recognise that and to turn and repent of going our own way and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Not just we become a Christian, but every day as we ongoing live the life of repentance and faith in order to be able to, to, to receive, be recipients of, um, of God's grace. And the response in each of our lives for those who've encountered God's grace, the transformation that it brings and the fruit that uh, is born in our lives, which Paul says inevitable for anybody who's encountered God's grace in verse 35. Uh, Paul says everything he did, he showed that by this kind of, he worked hard, uh, he helped the weak. And he remembered the words the Lord Jesus himself said, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's only when we really know God's grace that we know the truth of that. And we will uh, help the weak and we will give because those who have freely received are the ones who are able to freely give. And so God's grace is shot all the way through Paul's ministry. It was shot all the way through Paul and our Paul and Christine's ministry. And so Paul uh, uh, says, look, I commission you, I commit you to the word of his grace, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Or to put it another way, helping people come home to God. And that's what that is all about, isn't it? Uh, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace is, to, is helping people come home to God. And that's our vision, keeping the main thing the main thing. And so what does the church need to hear uh, as it goes into a season of transition? Uh, what does the church need to hear when its founding pastor moves on? It needs to keep the main thing the main thing. And it needs to uh, keep committed to the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace and helping people come home to God. So let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your grace at work in each of our lives, that you've purchased us with your own blood so that we might be forgiven and enjoy that inheritance to look forward to as sons and daughters of the King. Thank you that you've enabled each of us by your grace to respond to your grace and to repent and to turn to you in faith. And we thank you for the fruit of um, your grace, which is growing in our lives, of being able to help the weak and to, to give to others. Thank you that your grace is right at the heart of the church. It was right at the heart of the church of Ephesus, and it's been right at the heart of St. Mark's. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to keep the main thing the main thing. We thank you so much for the leaders that have gone before us. Thank you for the fact that they kept the main thing the main thing. Pray that you'd help us to imitate them that you would help us to have integrity, that you'd be, enable us to live out with every aspect of our lives the grace of God, despite hardship and opposition. Pray that you protect us uh, in this next season from um, savage wolves. Pray that there wouldn't be anybody who would come and get our 
focus off the grace of God. Help us not to distort the truth, even from among our own number. Protect us from ourselves, we pray. And Lord, we we commit ourselves again to your grace and pray that as we go into this next season that you just keep doing what you've always been doing. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing. And so we pray this, Lord, uh, for your glory and in the name of the Lord Jesus, by the power of his spirit. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen.